Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Uncommon People podcast. This is the show about ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. I think we've all lived our own unique lives and that we each have a lot worth sharing from them. And I want to listen to these stories and learn from them. If you think you're ready to have this sort of a conversation and give others the chance to hear it for themselves, please do reach out. My website is joeltimothy.co and you can find my contact info up there so you can get in touch. This is episode number seven. And here I sit down with Haley Mitchell to chat. I hope you listen to the whole thing and get a lot of value from it. In the meanwhile, here is episode number seven of the Uncommon People podcast. When did you start in photography? Start that pretty young. <laughs> yeah. Um, my earliest memory was, I mean, when I was little, my mom had this film camera. It was like a Canon 2000, something like that. Um, and she used it all the time for, you know, all of our different events and whatnot. Well, whenever we did, um, we did like the Washington County Fair and you could like enter you know, photography and your drawings and all that and you'd get like money and whatnot if you like did it like if you won something what is and so the, it's the washington county fair it's just like a it's just a and thing. everybody kind of brings their own they like yeah like it's, it's like there's different age groups there's like yeah there's different age groups and oh. you can like participate it's normally for like little kids it's okay. just like a fun thing okay. and every you either get first place second place third place ribbon or like the grand champion, but like everybody gets something. Like it's kind of one of those things. Okay. But if you get the grand champion There's one, no you're losers. the only person that gets that. Okay. <laughs> so when I was little, we would enter like the photography part of it. Uh-huh. Also, we were in, my sister and I were in 4-H, if you know what that is. I've, I know of it. It's like I a young children's like agricultural okay, kind yeah. of group. Mm-hmm. You, I showed uh, uh, bunny rabbits. That was my you thing. You showed them like. Yeah. Like you like raise them and yeah. then you like. I, love I don't remember everything it was i was really little but yeah you would get all dressed up and you'd have to like show them that you know like all these different i don't really remember it i i was very intimidated by the bunnies because they were like kind of mean but anyways <laughs> besides the bunny thing with 4-h um i got involved in kind of that the washington county fair so you'd take photos and do all that kind of stuff well i was a pretty artsy kid just in general but my mom, she would let us use like the film camera for um, like the photography portion of it. And they had like an auto setting on it. So like you didn't know have to know how to do like aperture and like shutter speed and all that. Mm-hmm. So I would use that. And I like thought it was so cool. Like just being able to like use this camera. Yeah. Well, whenever I hit, I think eighth grade, um, my grandma had a digital camera at her house and I had this idea that I wanted to dress up all my little cousins and like put them in like costumes and I was going to do a photo shoot with them outside. And I got like such positive feedback from my family. They're like, these photos are so beautiful. Like you need to do this more. I'm like, okay. So, um, after that, my mom was like, well, you can have my film camera. And I was like, I get to have the film camera, you know, like that, you know, she used for so long. Uh So I just, I didn't have a job or anything, but my mom was kind enough to like buy me film and I would just explore like whenever we lived on the farm, just explore fields and take pictures of random things and 
take photos of friends and, and what age was this when she gave you her camera um going into high school so okay. i was 14 okay yeah so all throughout high school i only shot film oh man i yep. didn't know that yep uh i i didn't have yeah didn't have a digital camera the only like digital camera i had was like a tiny little like just the point and shoot kind of mm-hmm. digital cameras but I, I didn't use that for like photography purposes yeah. but i went to so many um like Saturday night, uh, like concerts, like my friends that had bands, like in high school, mm-hmm. they had like little local shows at like churches that we'd go to or like youth centers. And I shot so much film um, of just like their shows. It was just something I really enjoyed doing. Um, and then eventually I really worked up to actually shooting like actual portraiture of people. Cause I had friends saying like, can you take my senior pictures? Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, I don't really know how, how to do that, but I'll try. So I started doing that and they're like, this is so unique. Like I actually get to have like senior portraits that are like film, not digital. Right, yeah. But man, it was so expensive. Yes. Oh, and this is back when Walmart had like their 24 hour like developing mm-hmm. thing. They don't have that now. No. But um, yeah, it just got crazy expensive. And then finally... um. I think, I can't remember. I think I saved money or like I saved half of it. And then my mom helped me pay for half of a digital camera. Cause she's like, it's really expensive and she's paying for it. Like my mom's a saint. I love her. <laughs> um, but she kind of helped me raise money to like get my own digital camera. And it was like a Canon T3, like uh-huh. just one of those starter yeah, like cameras. And I got that um, my senior year of high school. Um, that was a game changer just, and I honestly, I didn't know how to do like shutter speed and all. I did not know how to do that. It was just all like auto settings, but it's still fun. Like I, I loved shooting. It's all I did in high school. Um, and then eventually, you know, when I went to JBU, I had to take intro to photography classes and learn like everything about a camera. Mm -hmm. And I was like in a whole new world. I was like, Oh, I have to relearn how to use a camera. And since then, like, yeah. It's been great, but... Wow, I had no idea that that actually had so much of your life. It did. <laughs> wow. So when I took like a darkroom uh-huh. and a alternative darkroom in college, I was I was so happy because I was like, I'm back to shooting film now. <laughs> and you get to develop your own photos. Yeah, that was awesome. And even whenever I was at JBU, I worked... Um, my work. One of my work-study jobs was working in the darkroom, so I had to take care of like cleaning the sinks and pouring chemicals and cleaning the drying racks and making sure everything was tidy for the next class and whatnot so i spent a lot of my time in the dark room in college so Hmm. yeah i wish i knew how to do that stuff yeah like i I couldn't do it now on my own just because it's kind of scary because some of those chemicals could like really hurt you Uh especially in alternative dark room are professor accidentally well it wasn't really our professor it was the beaker that he was because alternative darkroom is like dangerous chemicals like why is it called alternative darkroom it was it's before um oh, i don't know how to describe it um it's like the very first ways of printing um, okay film so like cyanotype um if you know what that is okay, it's like the, heard of it. the photos that are like that blue color mm-hmm. um and then they had oh Oh, I don't know. I'm. It's been a while. I've do they do graduated. wet plate printing and stuff? Yes, they do like the plate printing, like that okay. kind of stuff. Okay. So you have to use like really dangerous chemicals. And I remember one class we had, 
um, our professor is trying to teach us how to do this. And we had to put this beaker on like a hot plate. And there was a chemical in it. And then there was a like a crack in the pl- in the glass and it exploded. And there's shards of glass that went everywhere. And then it just this liquid turned into a gas. And my professor's like, you need to get out of here right now. Like, so we had to all run because this gas was like dangerous to breathe. Like yeah. it could kill you. Man. <laughs> so it was really scary, Adventures but also really funny. Photo class. Yeah. So they're like, okay, class is, class is done now. We need to go. Don't die. Wow. So, and then like our professors had to go in with like hat, like the hazmat like suits and go in and clean the dark room to make sure it was safe for us. Yeah. To be in. So this probably looks really weird. It, it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will you look out the window? Yeah. Am I smiling? What am I doing? <laughs> uh, no, don't smile. Okay. All right, don't smile. Just look like you're having, you know, a really deep conversation. <laughs> More photos. Okay. I'm good at that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Hmm. So were your, you, both your parents were very supportive of, like, photography early on. Do you think they caught on early that you just... I- you were enjoying that a lot? Okay, well, um, so my, I'd say my mom, yes, she was pretty supportive. My dad, he definitely appreciated art. He wasn't necessarily, you wouldn't look at him and think he's artsy, but he is really talented at drawing and painting. Hmm. Um, like when I was growing up, at, like for instance, like Halloween, um, anytime I like needed face paint done, like one year I was a, well, two years, actually, I've been different members of the band Kiss, and he would always yeah. do my face paint for me because he's really, really talented at that. Huh. Um, I think he's done, like, David Bowie for me, like, just different, like, face paint stuff. He's, he's He'll do it. He's good. And then, like, my science, like, not my science projects, but he has some science projects. Um, a few, like, projects for school growing up, he would help me, like, do stuff like paper mache kind of things. He's just, he has that artistic skill in him. He just doesn't really show it a lot. But um, my mom, she is a little artsy. Um, she appreciates art, but she's, I wouldn't say she's like super, I feel bad saying this, like saying my mom's not talented, but like she, <laughs> you know, different skills like yeah. than my dad. Yeah. She can appreciate art and look at something and know that it looks good, but she might not necessarily like have the skills to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say she's really good at taking pictures. Like she was kind of the one that pushed me into that. But um, as far as like being supportive, like, yeah, they were really supportive. Um, I will say when I was going into school, they told me that they really wanted me to not just major in photography. They wanted me to pick something else to pair with it. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd go down the path that my mom was going to go down and be a teacher. Because I had a number of teachers in school tell me, hey, you should you should be a teacher. Like you'd be really good at that. And I'm like, okay. You know, thinking, Oh, that's what I'm going to do. Actually, I went into, um, not, it wasn't orientation, but it was a few months before school started. You had to sign up for your classes as a freshman. Uh And they, I went in thinking I was going to do photography and, um, teaching. Mm -hmm. And I went into like the education building and they were going to help me pick out my classes. And I told them I wanted to do photography as well. And they're like, well, actually, I don't think you can. If you want to graduate in four years, you won't be able to major in both of them. 
and i was like just i felt like everything just like came crashing down i was like but but i want to do photography really bad like i have to and so i cried oh i went like with my mom like i went somewhere i was like mom i don't know what to do she's like Haley, i know how passionate you are like you you do what you need to do like do photography like we'll we'll find something else to pair pair it with that Uh will be good like a good was it specifically they couldn't let you major in that one and photography and teaching no they said that i would have to be in school for like more than four years if i wanted to double major in both just generally double major yes okay and so i was heartbroken so i ended up actually going to the art building and i told them like hey I want to do photography, but I really want to double major. Mm. Can you give me an idea of something I can double major in that would be like a good fit for it? And they're like, oh, yeah, you should do graphic design. And I'm like, uh, I don't think I really know what that is. Um, and so they kind of explained it and kind of explained how they kind of go together and how you would be able to graduate in four years doing both of them because they re- require most of the same classes. And so I was like, fine, sign me up. I'm good with this. I'll, I'll figure out what this major is later. Yeah. <laughs> and ironically enough, I'm a full-time graphic designer now. So it worked, worked out. out. <laughs> yeah. And I do photography on the side, you know, for fun and whatnot. Yeah. But. Which seems like, uh, to me, that sounds like striking gold. Uh, yeah. That happens to me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Because every, I mean, for the most part, all the, I often will hear photographers say that, Say wedding photographers, often wedding photography is their kind of nine to five. Oh, and then they get yeah, to pursue <laughs> the other thing that they want to do creatively yes. because that pays the bills. Yes. Um, it's hard, I think, to make a living as just a photographer, specifically mm-hmm. just a photographer in the field you want to be in. Mm-hmm. So if I could just shoot portraits of people and do that all the time and podcasts, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, like I look at Phil Sharp and his stuff. I'm like, does, is this all the guy does? Yeah. What is it? It's unfair. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you do? How do you end up with that kind of a career? Mm-hmm. So, getting to do something else to also support you in your hobbies, and that something else being graphic design, mm-hmm. and actually still getting to work with imagery and creating things. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It it was definitely a god thing for sure. Just yeah college life yeah everything it just it like worked out so perfectly that you know back then it was like am i even gonna get a job like you know but it worked out really well and i'm incredibly grateful for just the company i work at um i feel like if i worked at anywhere else i wouldn't be happy but the people there are really incredible and right now i'm the only female that works there there's about 15 i think there's 15 right now of us only girl i like it though it's just like working with a bunch of brothers and uncles they're all very nice (laughs) that's good (laughs) so i've never felt like i guess the word i can think of is like discriminated against Uh they they don't like i don't know they're very very polite kind people good and my boss is doesn't act like a boss he's just a very humble person and he's like really worked towards this you know business and he's really like created into something from nothing because he was just it was just him when he first started he did everything and now he's this incredible person and 
I mean, he has his own building. Like he just, I don't know. I'm very grateful for him for sure. Awesome. Yeah. We'll we'll go back around and you can tell the story of how you got that because I'm interested about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we'll back up and like, so you have one other sibling, right? Yes. And Hannah. you grew up here. Yeah, I grew up in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Okay. So what was what was childhood like for you? Oh man. Okay. So yeah, I have a younger sister named Hannah. She's three years younger than me, but she is a head taller than me. So everybody thinks that she's the oldest. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I know. It's 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 like a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um so and yeah, and then my parents, I lived with my parents, obviously. Um, they've been together for they'll be tw- twenty seven years this year. Because mm. um, they had me a year after I was after they had me a year after they were married. Yeah. Um so as far as like just kinda how I was like as a kid, um I was a very I mean, I was kinda shy but like friendly at the same time. Um I was really involved in a lot of things. Like I did, you know, dance, like ballet, tap, jazz. Um, I did basketball, softball, gymnastics, cheerleading. I did everything. I was a very active, involved mm. kid. Okay. Um, very, you know, I did like artsy stuff, like drew, painted, did a little bit of photography here and there. Um, really liked music. I've always liked music. Yeah. It's a been a big part of my life mm-hmm. um i'm trying to like think of like how far to get into like my childhood like as a little kid or like teenager but i guess we'll like what was the significant <laughs> if you someone asks you what the i guess i'll ask you okay what what was the the age that stands out to you when people ask me if people ask me about my childhood it's hard for childhood. me to say anything because i don't remember much about my childhood i have various okay. like traumatic memories oh but yeah, I, I think everybody have, does <laughs> yeah i don't have much to tell people like what it was like okay. being a kid um i mean i kind of gave you an idea of how what i was like as a kid um as far as like my upbringing i'll just probably maybe talk about that so um my parents um they were they kind of they kind of gave me love differently. And I'm like, as an adult, I can really like, like look back and like see that this is a very like different thing. So my mom, as I've kind of described, she is just this, she's a saint. She's a wonderful lady. And she's always just been so involved in our lives. Um, Even now, Um, she was kind of our like primary caretaker. Like she was always the one that was in the house, always Mm -hmm. there. Um, when we get home from school, we'd spend time with mom. If it was weekends, we'd spend time with mom. Um, yeah, she, she just was at every, you know, game, every practice, every church event, you know, always there. And then the contrast of that, um, was my dad. So his way I realized as an adult of showing love is providing, Mm -hmm. but that came with consequences because, he he just spent a lot of his time working when I was little so he was very absent um because he would get home probably around like seven o'clock at night and then he'd be like really tired and exhausted so he would just come home sit in his recliner eat watch tv go to bed 
there really wasn't any interaction between him and us. Mm-hmm. And he had a really, really toxic job and he worked there for like over 20 years. Really just kind of crappy bosses that just really didn't value him at all. Um, so he kind of just was very frustrated a lot. Um, and he dealt, he, I could go on and on about like just my dad's past and his life and everything that he's been through, but my dad's really been through a lot. Um, it's, it's very heartbreaking how much he's been through, but I think he just has a lot of things that he's gone through that he hasn't healed from and he just kind of holds in. And so growing up, it was just, I didn't feel very emotionally connected with him cause he was so closed off. Um, so really I just kind of saw him as a guy that just worked for us that took care of us, but really just didn't care. Like I hate saying that, but as a kid, I really kind of felt I just felt like he didn't care enough because he wasn't there. Like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, I have a, you know, a church play or, oh, I have a game or something. And about eight times out of 10, he, he wouldn't be there. And so I saw my mom as, oh, my mom loves me more than my dad because dad didn't come. And so that was, that was really hard as a kid because I really wanted my dad to be there and he just wasn't. So I spent a lot of my like father's day like with him not being there because he just was working all the time and that was really hard just as a kid like oh i can't Mm -hmm. spend these important days with my dad because he's too busy you know so as a kid i took it he was too busy for me not that he was taking care of me does that make sense oh absolutely yeah so that that was that was hard and then yeah just emotionally he very kind of cut off um my mom was opposite. She words of affirmation just flew from her mouth constantly. Mm. Um, but I really didn't get that from dad. And so, um, thankfully all, a lot of that changed when I, like after I graduated from college, it was like a lifelong thing, but mm-hmm. my dad is a completely different person now, like for the good, just everything that I've always wanted him to be. He is that right now for us and for my mom. Because when I was in high school, I was so convinced that they were going to get divorced and it scared the crap out of me. In college, I was kind of hoping it would happen, as hard as that is to say. But no, he's he's improved. And, I, and again, I think it's a God thing. I think I, I prayed for him a lot when I was in high school and college. And I think that something just sparked in him and a switch flipped. But yeah, he's ama- he's, he's amazing now. I love I love my parents so much. And then, um, and we can like dive deeper into things, but I'll just kind of keep talking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then my sister, um, we did not really get along growing up. Uh, she was a brat <laughs> and she knows it. Um, she was just that pesky little sister, you uh-huh. know, always wanted to get in your way and hang out with your friends. And you're like, you're too, like, you're too, you're not cool enough to hang out with me. Like I was kind of that way, like go away. She'd like hide in my closet and like take my journals and like read them and like yeah she was a mess. Um, but no, we we are pretty much like best friends now. Um, she's really matured and she's hilarious and a very fun person to be around now. So <laughs> family life, yeah, is definitely improved a lot since I was little. Um, yeah, and then my grandparents were a huge part of my upbringing too. Cause yeah. They lived, and this is my mom's parents, they lived about three blocks away 
from us growing up. And I went to church with them. I spent probably like three or four days a week at their house. And yeah, they they were amazing people. And their house was basically like a second home to me growing up. So, and they were like a second set of parents. It was kind of like a bonus, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so yeah, they were, they were a huge part of my upbringing as well. So, well, yeah, I, yeah. Like I, I was saying earlier, I just I don't know what that's like. It's weird um, to me listening to other people's family stories mm-hmm. and having certain things that I know are normal for a lot of people, but that I don't know how to feel about because I just didn't experience them. Mm-hmm. Like grandparents we did yeah. we didn't or really mostly family of any kind outside of our immediate household because uh-huh. um, my mom's parents were both gone before i was old enough to have ever known them my dad's parents d- both had died by the time i was like 10 mm-hmm. and they had lived in florida anyways so i i only saw them a handful of times um and it's just strange to me because i don't i didn't have anything it's kind of like you don't know what you miss if you never experienced it to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so that's really interesting. How, how do you feel like, say, your grandparents added to what your parents already were for you, if that makes sense? Like, how did they add to yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the my grandparents were my mom's parents, so it was like... I don't know. I was getting more of my mom, my mom, I guess. I don't know. Like if that makes sense, they were like my biggest, Oh, what's it called? Cheerleaders. Uh, Well, kind of. I mean, they went to like every basketball game, every birthday, every, you name it for like 24 years of my life. Yeah. Just they went to everything, but um, no, they were the the spiritual leaders. That's what the word spiritual leaders of our family. So my dad's side of the family, like they're Christians, but they're not very um, vocal about it, I guess. It's just kind of like a, and I don't know what their personal faith is or anything like that, but my grandparents were like very involved in the church, very involved in, um, they helped um, kind of start this, um, it's kind of like a, not like a goodwill, but it's just like a, I don't know what the word is, I'm blanking. It functions it's like called, that. It's like called a, Life Ministries. Like a thrift store. Yeah, it's a thrift store. Okay. But they also like give food to like families in okay. need. Um, they kind of like do like weekly kind of food things. They they kind of helped set that up because that was through our old church, and so they were very involved in like serving the community, um, very involved in the church, very involved in like life groups, like those kind of things. They had a big like friend group and. Um, they were always the ones, you know, every Sunday we'd go to their house after church and my grandpa, you know, prayed at every, he was always the one that prayed and my grandma was always the one that, you know, she'd hug you and whisper in your ear, like she's praying for you. And she prayed all the time. Like, I mean, even, you know, when she, in her last, you know, year of her life, even when she was dying from very painful cancer, she still prayed for you. Like, she'd tell you that. You know, so she, they were just very spiritual people and were always like, you know, cause my dad, um, and my mom, like my mom, obviously she's been, she's that way too. You know, she's like them. Um, and she was always the one that took us to church and my dad, you know, when I was growing up, my dad never went to church with us. Um, 
and he wasn't, you know, like the, the mainly, you know, the man of the house, you know, that, you know, was supposed to pray and like, you know, mm-hmm. do that. So he, he never did that. Um, so my grandpa was kind of like the, the man that I looked up to as like, you know, what a father is supposed gotcha. to be like, what a husband's supposed to be like. I looked up to him like mm-hmm. that. Um, and really, and like I said, my dad, he's, he's changed a lot and he's really been, been more, um, like the first time I ever heard him pray out loud, I was like, Oh my gosh, what did you just say? Like, and he's been that he's really been really trying to improve. And I think that cause he really didn't have um, a father growing up. And I think that my grandpa really became that for him and somebody that he could look, look up to. So, yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be, I'm thinking, just thinking now about what that's gotta be like for, for your father. Mm-hmm to kind of adopt another person as his father yeah um relationships building relationships especially only become harder as you get older i think oh yeah (laughs) and relearning how to do things like that yeah um i i can't imagine what it's like not no not growing up with a father figure and then Mm -hmm. getting married and now there is somebody there who's willing to be that. Yeah. The emotional work that it has to take. Yeah. For that to happen. Yeah. I know my dad has emotions, but it takes a lot for him to express it. In recent years, he's been a lot more emotional, which is good. I'm glad. I want him to be vulnerable. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. He he lost both of his. He had a biological father that had committed suicide when he was a baby. Mm. Um, and then his his dad, his stepdad, who he called dad, because he really was his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he died of a heart attack um, when my dad was, I think, 17. My dad actually found him after it had happened, and he tried to revive him, and it obviously you know, didn't work, but that was really traumatizing for him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and his mom, I think, remarried a few times, but nothing ever lasted. It wasn't like a close you know, relationship with any of these guys, but... Mm. Yeah, he, I mean, he's had like a few, he had like one guy um, who kind of took him under his wing, but he passed away before I was born. So as far as like the past 20 something years, there really hasn't been anybody except for my mom's dad. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that your mom's dad, I mean, No, he's, he's great. I mean, he, yeah, he's a very great guy. Oh, I miss him a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they passed, um both of them last year yeah so my grandpa he died in december of 2000 oh my gosh 18 sorry i keep forgetting it's 2020 it's hard when it's also at the end or beginning of a year yeah it was december 2018 it was it was like the week before christmas around Mm -hmm. that time it was the day before my grandma's birthday it was terrible it was so sad um if you want to get uh, to the traumatizing things, um, I actually, my mom and I actually got there right after it happened. So uh, <laughs> I'll talk about deep stuff. Um, yeah, my grandma, she called. Um, I was with my mom. She called and she's panicking. She's like, she's like, or she called my mom and said, your dad, you know, he, like, I can't get him. Like, like he, she was bathing him because he got to a point where he just couldn't really take care of himself. And she turned away for a split second and he just kind of slumped and wasn't breathing. So she tried to like 
revive him and she couldn't. And so she called an ambulance and my grandma was concerned because the ambulance, sorry, it's like really windy yeah, right now. The ambulance, um, <laughs> she's like, the, the ambulance isn't leaving the house, meaning like they're not taking him somewhere. So my grandma was kind of, and she, my grandma worked in a hospital forever. So she, she knows, you know, she knows mm -hmm. what, if it's the end, you know, if someone's life. So, um, we rushed, we were from, we were in Fayetteville and we, it was like five o'clock traffic and we were just trying so hard to get to Prairie Grove and it was about like a 20 minute drive. Mm -hmm. And my mom, she was just crying and panicking. I've never seen my mom cry. Like it was very hard. And I just kind of had this peace in me. Like it was so strange. I had this peace. I just, I knew that he had died, but like we weren't told yet that he died, but I just, I just remember praying over his life and just prayed for my mom and my grandma in that moment. And we got there and it was so sad just seeing ambulance, you know, the lights and everything and mm -hmm. walking into the house and seeing him on the ground. It was very hard. Um, my mom just, you know, crumpled to the floor. Like she was just not okay. And I, I, I'm one that does not like crying in front of people. If it is, it's in front of like one person. I'm fine with that. But I tried so hard to hold it together. Um, and I did. I was pretty proud of myself. Um, <laughs> and my grandma, man, she is just the strongest lady I've ever known. I've never, never in my whole life, I had never seen her cry once, ever. Even through my grandpa's death. No, nothing. No. She's so strong. She was such a strong lady. And then, yeah, um, she developed. So she had developed a cancer right before my grandpa died. Then she was put on remission about three days before he died. And I truly believe that that was like, like my grandpa, like, I don't know if he like knew he was going to die. I don't know. But like, he just held, I love that he held on, you know, with his life. And it's like, he felt at peace whenever she, he knew that she was going to be okay. Does that make sense? It was, I don't know. I just like to think of it like that. Cause like she like, oh, I'm in remission now. And then three days later, he finally passes away. Like it was just a very, mm. yeah. Well, unfortunately, um, she, the cancer came back a few months after that, after he died. And it was a very hard year. 2019 was a very hard year. Mm -hmm. So she developed a cancer called multiple myeloma. It is actually a rare, a very rare cancer. They don't really know how to treat it because mm -hmm. it's in your blood. So it's like a blood cancer. So you, um, so my grandpa, I'm sorry, my grandma's, um, like blood counts. I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know technical words, but mm -hmm. she like basically your cancer or your blood becomes bad, like unusable. It's not, it's not providing what it needs for your body. Mm -hmm. And so the cancer is just like killing all your, like your good blood cells or something like that. And so she actually reached a point where she was actually put in the hospital for about a month because she actually was like, was hours away from dying from what the um, doctors said. But she, yeah, I was in the hospital. It was very hard, very, very hard. Um, but something really incredible happened, which I will gladly share. Um, okay. She, and my grandma's not one that's like, not into like, I don't know what to call it. Hokey pokey. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> That's but like, the word that was just, coming in my mind. 
I would know if it would apply. Yeah, because she, she grew up, at, like, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and she was in the Southern Baptist church. She's not really into, like, the whole spiritual kind of stuff. Pentecostal um, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So she randomly, like, we literally thought she was going to die in that hospital. And, and we couldn't stay the night with her because, like, you couldn't be in the room. Like, you had to wear, like, face mask in the room. And this was before COVID because she was, like, if she got sick, she would, like, die. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't stay, like my mom couldn't stay with her or anything like that. But um, the next day we come back in the hospital and she's just like up and, you know, she looks healthier. Like she looks great. And we're like, what happened? We didn't have to wear a mask or anything. And she's like, I had a really interesting thing happen to me last night. We're like, well, what happened? And she said that she's like, I don't know if I was dreaming or if this actually happened to me. But she said she was in her bed. It was late at night, you know, late at night. She's in her bed and she looks over and she sees this dark figure in the room. And it doesn't talk to her. It just stands there. And she kind of felt a little scared. She's like, uh, she's like, am I going to die? Like, what is like, you know, it was, she knew it wasn't a person. And then she looks over and she starts talking to it. And she's like, I know that you're here for me. Like, it's not like, I don't, it's not my time. I don't want to leave. Like I need to stay for my kids. Like they need me. Like they just lost their dad. Like I just, just let me stay a little longer and no joke. Something on the left side of her vision appears and it's this bright, bright light. And she hears it talk to her. And, and then it it looks at the black figure and says, it's not our time yet. We need to go. And then it just disappears. Like she's wow. telling me that and I'm like, oh my gosh. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> like no big deal. And we're just like, wow. And she had a lot of really awesome, like kind of spiritual kind of things happen uh-huh. um, just over that year. Like it really opened my, my eyes and my mind to like heaven and like kind of just good and evil that's like going on in this world that you don't see. But, um, fast forward, you know, after that, she ended up going back home. It was great. You know, she's doing good. And then, um, her friend was actually taking her to a, a a doctor's appointment. Um, and she, you know, this is, she already like didn't have hair, you know, all that stuff. Well, um, she had a stroke on the way to the hospital or to the doctor's appointment. So she, they took her to Mercy Hospital in Rogers, which was actually like right by my apartment, which is really convenient. But that whole week was like the worst week of my life. Um, she had, um, it's like every day she just got worse. So when you first saw her the day after, you know, the day that her um, stroke happened, like she just couldn't talk very well. Um, it was really hard to watch that because just the strong lady I've always known just mm-hmm just I don't know kind of talked like a child like that's just how how I could describe it and she couldn't like move I think it was her left arm she couldn't like lift it she just lost all feeling she couldn't feed herself like her tongue you know was it's like she would choke you know if she like ate and they also like something with her throat had happened too um she was always choking on her food it was really 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 hard to watch but that entire week I mean I my mom, like, she was there the entire time. Like, never left my grandma's side. 
And if she did need a break, is that's whenever I would step in and spend like the day with my grandma and help her, like help feed her. And then once she like you know, needed to go to the bathroom, like I kind of help out a little bit and all that. But it was certainly hard to deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really kind of just my mom and I doing that. Um, yeah, it was hard just like seeing this lady who my whole life has just been like one of my biggest inspirations and who I saw as like this strong woman just being so helpless. Like that was so hard to watch. And it's like, I almost like every day, like it's like her mental kind of her brain, like just, it's like she was turning into this child. And so I felt like I was almost taking on her role as like, I don't know. It was such a weird transition, but, um, there was the night before, um, they were going to put her into hospice care, but the night before they put her in hospice, it was interesting. Um, she kind of had some other experiences, but she told me, um, cause she, she got, she got to a point where she couldn't talk very well and she kind of wasn't making sense at times, but she like told me to like, you know, gave me a finger and was like telling me to come closer to her face. And I was like, what? And she's like, grandpa says that he can see Roxy in the house. Roxy was their dog, but she said that my grandpa was talking to her and he could see like inside of their house. Like it was such a weird thing, but yeah, she said that like grandpa was talking to her and I was like, oh my gosh, like, oh man. And then she told me, um, or she was, um, it's like she would sometimes like raise her hands up in the air. Like she was like, I don't know. I kind of think she was just like reaching out to like God or something like that. Like she could like see, I think she was seeing heaven. Like I have no doubts about that, but she's just like would raise up her arms and then she'd just like drop them. And then she'd like raise up her arms really high and then she'd drop them. And then, um, she kept saying that she was like, she would reach up like in the air, like there was something in front of her. And she said that they were, she's like, do you see that? And she was like, so amazed. She was seeing these colorful, like bubbles in the air like just and she's like do you see that it's so beautiful like she would you know I don't know and we're like we're like we don't know what you're looking at but you look like you're having a great time you know (laughs) um yeah and then yeah that happened and then the next day um she was in hospice care and that's when she just you couldn't interact with her I mean it was just like she was taking a big long nap so during that time um and this was only a a day and a half um it was very quick um, I remember I read, um, Psalms, a couple chapters of Psalms to her and I just like hold her hand and read to her. Um, and then the next day, uh, that's, that's when she passed. So she only from the stroke up until her death was only a week. It was a very long week, but I was actually there when it happened. It was a very, I don't know, like hard, but beautiful experience. So we were all, it was my, um, my mom's older brother, my mom, my dad, my sister and I, and my dad had noticed that my grandma was kind of moving kind of funky and her breathing was very weird. And we all gathered around her, like just in a circle and we just kind of held her and we just, you know, saw her breathing, you know, change. And finally she just, it's just like, she took her last breath and she just stopped. And I was just like so in shock, like I just experienced this, like, and then my mom, you know, she's like 
over her body just crying and it was it was rough but also I was thinking in my head like I'm so glad I was here for this like just to experience this like it was such a beautiful thing that happened and then um my uncle Joe my mom's older brother prayed over her after that happened and yeah that was it was rough <laughs> but it was it was good and then her funeral I actually spoke at her funeral it was I stayed up all night writing it like what I was gonna say but I got a lot of good like feedback from her friends and family like they just hugged on me and like you described her so perfectly like made me cry like all that stuff um I don't know it's it's been rough and Mm -hmm. I mean just losing both of them in like 11 months was very hard and then like obviously they had to sell their house and all that and deal with a little bit of family drama when it came to you know stuff like that but yeah and then having to change um family traditions for like holidays that's really was hard christmas is not the same let's just say but yeah yeah they were amazing people and i'm glad i had them for that long and i was oldest grandkid so they were you know i was really close to them yeah yeah so again because this is all very foreign to me yeah because (laughs) like i didn't have my grandparents around but it wasn't because i lost them to me i didn't feel like i had lost something because i just wasn't close to them i've never had anyone close to me pass i don't wish it upon you (laughs) well thank you it's so hard what what is grief like to you what is what has that been oh gosh i've really had to learn grief so i've i know what it feels like to grieve somebody that's like still alive you know like you lose like you get a breakup or something or you like stop being friends with somebody like that's different because you know like they're still alive you know but losing somebody when you know that you're like never gonna talk to them ever again i mean besides like you know like you go to heaven you see them but like it's hard um because like like for instance there's been times where i think of something like i don't know like my grandma used to have to hem my pants for me because I'm short and none of the pants that I wear ever fit me because they're way too long. And I like think in my head like, oh, I need to ask grandma. Like I need to tell grandma that I, I need to like go to her house and you know, we can do this together. And I'll like start texting her and I'm like, wait, I can't like, I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, or like I'll be driving to my parents' house. I'm like, oh, I'm going to stop by grandma and grandpa's house to go see them. And I'm like, wait a second. I can't like that's been hard. Um, and just, I don't know, like sometimes like with grief, like whenever, after somebody dies, you kind of think that they just like went on vacation and that they'll be back soon. And you just have to like wrestle with the reality that like, no, like you're going to spend the rest of your life not having them there. And that's, that's hard. Um, and I think my grieving, my grandma's death was easier because I felt like I had closure because I was there like I was physically there like I knew she was gonna die like I had my time like to talk to her like even if she wasn't responsive like I still talked to her like I remember at one point like I like actually like whispered in ear and like literally just told her how much I appreciated her because like I knew she could hear me but I know she wouldn't be able to reply back to me um so that was easier but my grandpa like that was that was harder for me because I wasn't prepared 
And like, I hated myself for a little while after that because it's like, we thought he had like about, I don't know, two, three years. Like we thought we had plenty of time with him and it was just a sudden, like random thing that just happened. And I remember, um, my grandma texted me, um, but when he was still alive, she texted me and she was like, Hey, so grandma or grandpa and I want you to come over. We'll make you like your favorite soup and we'll spend time together. And I'm like, I had something come up. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, I'll just see you at your birthday, which was the day after he passed away. So I was like, oh, I'll just see them on grandma's birthday. Well, he died before that. And I was like, I should have gone and saw them. And I, I literally was so mad at myself for like months. I was like, I could have had like a proper goodbye, which I think my last words to him were, I love you anyways. Cause that's just how, what I say after I leave their house. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like, man, I, I should have like valued that time. I should have gone there. I just got so wrapped up with just busyness of life and that's why I, I, it's really taught me like the value of like one, always saying I love you to somebody after you leave them. Always saying that. That has like become a huge thing. Even with my friends. I'm like, I love you. Like, bye. And hugging them. And then just reminding people how much you care about them. Um, that's why I love cards. I love writing people cards. So they have like handwritten, like words of affirmation from me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big thing for me lately. <laughs> um, And then not letting like the busyness of life get to you. Like, yeah, like maybe you have a little bit of work that you need to do, but like, I think it's more important to spend time with your family and friends and your loved ones. And you can always make time for that later, Mm -hmm. but like making them a priority has been a huge thing that I've learned. So (laughs) yeah, grief is hard. (laughs) Do you think there's a distinction between grief and sadness? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, you feel sad when you're grieving. Um, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't know like the Webster's dictionary version or definition of grief, Uh but I don't know. Grief also is kind of like a roller coaster. So some days you feel fine. You're great. You know, just living life normally. And then like you'll s- smell like you'll, you know, smell something like a, like a scent will come like in your nose or like you'll see, like listen to a, a song or watch a show or something. Something will remind you of them. And then it's just like it happened. Like, their death just like comes upon you and like you're just you just start crying. Like that's happened to me a lot. So, JC is definitely a um, witness to that. Um, that's happened a lot in front of him. Um, yeah, it just, it just comes and goes. It's like you have a high, then you have low, high, low. It just, it keeps going. And apparently from what I've heard people say, it's kind of a lifelong thing. You know, it's always there, but it gets easier over time. So it's only been like a year, two years. So I still have a lifelong to deal with that. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd say one of the biggest, har- the hardest things I've really had to like let go of um, is I, and this sounds, this is a girl thing, I know, but um, 
like I'm not married yet. Um, but I've always, every time I like have pictured my wedding growing up, I always could like envision them there. Like, you know, like when I'm getting ready, like my grandma would like help me put on my dress or like put on a necklace or something like that has always been like ingrained in my head. Like they're going to be there. They're going to be there because they've always been to everything of mine. Mm-hmm. And whenever they weren't there, like this, like, I don't know. I can't, I still imagine that they're going to be there. Like that's just how it is in my head. But I know that's not a reality. Like they're not going to be there. And it's like this understanding like I don't have any more grandparents like they're all gone like I have none and that's just upsetting to me um or and like feeling like it was my responsibility as like the eldest grandchild for like to give them a great grandchild and to like be the first one married it's like they didn't get to experience that and that makes me very sad but I know it's not like my fault you know Mm because it's like God's timing you know but and I know, obviously, like, they'll be there with me, but I'm not going to, like, see them, you know? But, like, they'll be there. Like, I know that. So that's giving me peace, but it's been hard. <laughs> yeah. So. What would you, if you could name the lesson, the lessons you've learned from them that you're the most grateful for, things that come back to your mind? Oh, gosh. Um, my, uh, I don't know. Um. My, my grandpa, he was just a very fun person and just a good friend and, I don't know, just fu- like just a funny, quirky, hilarious person. Just always cracking jokes, messing with people, like, I don't know. So he, I remember my sister, she did it, she interviewed, interviewed him for like a speech class in high school and we actually have notes that he wrote and just life lessons that he like wants young kids to know. And I can't remember what exactly it said, but it was like, you know, put your family first and treat, you know, treat everybody with respect. Like just, I don't know. He, he just like loved people and didn't care. Like, you know, if they were different than him, like he just, I don't know. He just had like a servant's heart and just like cared for people. And so I don't know that, that's very important to me. Like he just, I don't know, just treat other, like treat people like equally. Like that's just, I love that. I love that about him. Um, and then my grandma, I think just her, um, her name was Ruth. So it's just a biblical name, but she just, um, a very godly woman, like, holy moly. Um, (laughs) you know, every time you go to her house, she'd have like her Bible, like on the table and had like her, you know, Bible study. Like she just, and always was praying for people and just, I don't know. I, I aspire to be like her. So yeah, they're both wonderful people. So <laughs> that's awesome. Hmm. And was it just, they were just growing up. You just grew up knowing like, Oh, these are my parents and oh, they're yeah, those are my grandparents and they're equally close. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting to me. Yeah. Cause that's how like I get to see, um, like I said, I didn't have that. I see my mom now as a grandmother um, for my nephews and see how special that is to her. Mm-hmm. It's it's just very interesting to me how those different relationships kind of change you, I guess. Like my friend Nathan, um, his son, his first child, 
will be one soon, I think. Early okay. February. Yeah. I don't remember exactly when his birthday is. But just seeing the change that happened like in Nathan and it, and hearing him talk about it, how distinctly different it was, mm-hmm. becoming a father, and all of a sudden there's this person who exists now mm-hmm. who's just intrinsically so special and unique to you. Mm-hmm. And then carrying that on and becoming grandparents later, yeah, like what that must mean, you get to see those generations of people who are from you kind mm-hmm. of. I want to be a grandparent. Like I <laughs> skip like the pa- like the parenting. I like, I just want to be an old lady with grandkids. My mom says that's the more fun one. <laughs> like I have the spirit of an old woman. I like I don't know. I've just always felt that way. Yeah. I just want to be a grandma. Like I just do. I've always felt kind of like an old man, but I don't <laughs> not because I've wanted to be a grandpa. <laughs> Certainly a father. Certainly yeah, a father. Yeah, I definitely want to be a mom for sure. Doing. But yeah, grandma, I'm like looking forward to that, which that's like a long time from now, but mm-hmm. I'll be happy when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so growing up, are there particular things that that you come back to a lot, either negative or positive, about you growing up? Not necessarily about mm-hmm. your upbringing or the people who raised you, but just Haley as a younger person. Are there things that you still linger in your mind? Um, can you give me an age range? Mm. <laughs> like middle school, high school? Like Yeah, sure. High school, school age, maybe. That like I look back on? Oh. That like bothers me? Sure. Oh, um, well, high school was really, I had a really good experience in high school. Um, I mean, I could start talking about something that will lead into another topic that sure. would be very, <laughs> also heavy. Um, so... I, and I, and I literally, like, I can look back, everything, again, everything ties together, you know, it's everything ties together, but I believe that, um, because of, you know, before my dad kind of, you know, changed and whatnot, um, I had a weird, like, I don't know, I desire to be in relationships with boys, like, I just, I wanted to have a boyfriend, like, I I wanted that. And I think a lot of that stemmed from just me wanting love from my dad, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as an adult, I can look back and go, that was my problem. Um, so I, in high school, I had my first boyfriend. Um, it was an interesting relationship. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, puppy love, high school, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, we had a lot in common, like a lot of like kind of the interests and personality that I have now is kind of, I like I have him to think, I guess. Yeah. Um, we like the same bands, movies, all that stuff. Um, but man, I did not choose the best people. Let's just say, um, so I'll give him a fictional or a fake name. I'm gonna call him Kevin. (laughs) Kevin. Hey Kevin. So Kevin, uh, he, I don't know. I would, he just wasn't the greatest influence, let's just say. Um, he was kind of involved in like drug-related things. Um, not 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 what I was involved in, obviously. Uh-huh. I've never done drugs. So let's just clarify that. Um, <laughs> just we just had very different maturity levels, and so to answer your question, um, in high school specifically, um, I just wanted a boyfriend so badly that I just kind of just. 
didn't really care like to date someone that was more mature I guess I don't know just because I like wanted that and I have this I've noticed I have this tendency to in the past I've dated people that I thought I could fix you know I would mm-hmm. somehow attract people that had something wrong or hurt or something and I'd be like oh if they date me I could I can fix them and I can make things better and I had this expectation of them and I'm like okay yeah like if they're a Christian, things will get better. Like when they become a Christian, things will get better. When they stop doing acid and mushrooms, like <laughs> things will get better, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I think I just had this desire to like, I could change people. I can make people like reach their highest potential. And in the end, it, it, nothing would happen and I would get hurt. So I held on and I had a tendency of holding on to bad relationships over the course of my life. And that one wasn't necessarily like terrible. It was bad, but it wasn't terrible. I've had terrible, but, um, he, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, let's just, I'm just kind of want to sound like I'm being like venti, like venting or whatever, but, um, he actually cheated on me. <laughs> um, mm. And I continued to stay with him for a year after that. Um, again, thinking, oh, I can fix people. No, I didn't. I couldn't. So, yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts then as someone who went through the high school system and had boyfriends and is now older? Well, actually, I'll clarify. I only had him as a boyfriend. I dated okay. him for about three years. Okay. So most of high school. Okay. Well, what are, you, what are your <laughs> thoughts on dating in high school? Oh, man. Um. I don't know. I know it works for some people. Like I, I'm from a small town. There's people that dated all throughout high school and they're married and they have kids now and they're great. It didn't work out for me. Work out for me, obviously. Um, I think that, and something my parents didn't really uh, do as great of, um, they, I don't know. I think they were too trusting of me. I don't know. Um, I didn't do anything bad in high school, but um, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily for necessary for a teenager to like date when they can't even drive yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. I started dating before I could drive and before my boyfriend could drive. So we're like, our parents had to take us on dates. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily. I think like after you can drive maybe... When you can go but and like, choose your own but you have like a curfew and or I think yeah I don't know just don't don't spend alone time I don't know I don't really know you've got thoughts on it though right yeah yeah I mean other people have had better experiences than me but I look back and I'm like why why did I do that why did I always spend time like I could have I don't know put my effort into like something else but I mean it was a good learning experience like. Mm-hmm. I've I've been in a lot of long-term relationships over the course of my life and as crappy and terrible and awful they were and how much they hurt me um I can look back and I wouldn't I don't think I would change anything about what happened even if it did hurt um just because I can appreciate like what a, a good relationship is and like not take it for granted because I never had a good relationship until I met JC, obviously. But, um, yeah, 
I can appreciate it more and I have lessons to learn. And the really, the big thing that I've had to come at peace with and like I'm holding on to is like when I become a parent, like I want to be able to share my experiences with my kids and like be as honest and vulnerable as possible. Cause like my parents did not do that. Um, they were just kind of like, you know, don't, don't have sex. Like that's bad. You know, like they just, they didn't talk about relationships or like Mm -hmm. boyfriends and girlfriends. Like they didn't, they just told you what not to do, but didn't say why or how it would hurt, you know, if you did. I I think a lot of parents made that mistake. (sighs) Yeah. Um, so I, as a, you know, when I become a parent someday, I want to be vulnerable with my kids and be like, Hey, so this happened to me. This was my experience and it was really sucky and I don't want that for you. And I, you know, I want you to make good choices and I don't want you to make the choices that I made. So here it is. This is what happened. And, you know, even if I say no to things, it's because I'm protecting you, not because I don't love you. You know, I do love you, which is why I'm saying this, because I want you to be protected from that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. (laughs) I also like that we incidentally, for any paying attention, clarified that JC, who I called John. Oh, sorry. We're not dating. Which is maybe I want. I always I throw out his name. Oh yeah, John. And I'm like, I wonder. So the, I wonder if people what people think of that when they listen. So on the podcast, <laughs> Joel calls JC John. In real life, I call him JC John. Yes. So I call him JC. So. As everybody does. So it's the same person, his roommate, but different names. So yeah. Just for clarification. <laughs> <laughs> huh. You said that was gonna lead into a oh, heavier topic. Yes. Is there something else you want? Yes. You prepared. Uh, Joel, let's talk about college. <laughs> okay, we can go into that. How, how'd you get to college? Because <laughs> you were homeschooled briefly, right? No, Who, that was always I feel like public school. Right, I'm thinking public of school. no. Okay. When Joey's over, it's you two are the ones who are like, oh, oh we both went to public. school. We were school. the public school kids. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's amazing. Mind. Like since I met JC, it's like everybody that he knows is homeschooled, and I. Yeah. It's like I'm the outcast now. Yeah, you're the it's weird. weird. One. It's like nobody relates to me. And I'm like, this is weird. Like everybody goes to public school. (laughs) Not in this group. (laughs) Yeah. It's fine. Y'all are are good kids. Yeah. Uh, But so you went, was was going to JBU your decision? Yeah. It was my decision. So I actually had two colleges lined up. Okay. I had the Memphis College of Art as one of them. I had a really good scholarship there. Um, But... Uh, for um, if you were an Arkansas like student, um, your in-state um, what's it called scholarships, mm-hmm. they wouldn't count towards out-of-school colleges. Okay. So you were like losing money basically, and so I settled for JBU because at the time, no other colleges like in this area had photography programs like as a major. They were just like minors. Hmm. Sorry. Um, so I thought okay, I want to major in photography. So let's go here. And I mean, it's a very expensive college. Um, But my mom got her, um, she went back to school and got her teaching degree there. So that's how I knew of it. Okay. And it was only about a 20 minute drive from my parents' house. Mm -hmm. So that was nice. So they were still around and obviously it's a Christian school. So I kind of believed that again, that's a God thing because I feel like if I went to Memphis College of Art, I probably wouldn't be a Christian today. I truly believe that. So I'm glad that I, w- I decided to go to JBU. I mean, as 
terrible of an experience I had, you know, I had a really bad experience there, but still, I think God was like, really like had his grip on me is like, you are not leaving me. Like you are not leaving me, you know? <laughs> so you had a terrible experience at JBU. Yes. Which like, I feel like the past couple episodes of people that have, our JBU yeah, students have last, all said the same been, thing. There have been two people on recently who yeah. are JBU students. Yeah. Okay. So I can't remember who, which, um, person you interviewed said this but i i heard it and i'm like girlfriend i agree with you um education great teachers great classes great i really think that i put my money towards something good like truly do and i don't think i would have my job today if it weren't for going specifically to jbu because ironically enough most people at my work are all jbu graduates hmm. it's really weird anyways but social life was awful um, for many different reasons. Um, partly it was, one, I felt like I didn't fit in. <laughs> um, I was going into school having nobody because, you know, I went to Prairie Grove for like 13 years of my life. You know, I knew everybody. I went to a church where I knew everybody. And then I get put into Salem Springs, Arkansas, I don't know, a soul. And I'm like, how, how do I talk to people? Like, how do I make friends with people? This is weird. You know, I was so overwhelmed and I'm, I'm pretty introverted. So it's very hard for me to approach people and just very different from you. Cause you can just do that. I can't do that. That's very hard for me. Um, so that was hard. And I felt like a lot of people, um, it's like when orientation hit, everybody just kind of got into groups and if you didn't get into a group it was kind of like oh sorry like that was really hard like I just didn't feel like I fit in anywhere um and then uh another reason um was also it was kind of my fault um I had started a relationship with someone outside of JBU and I, and this was like right when I started at JBU. So I kind of just put all of my time and effort into this person and I dated them the entire time I was at JBU. So, um, which in quotes, that was my uh, relationship from hell. Um, specifying that (laughs) was a bad relationship. Um, but I kind of just wanted to, I thought that making friends with his friends, was more important than making friends at JBU um, because I felt like they wanted me to be friends with them. Whereas at JBU, it was like, I don't know what to do. Like everybody doesn't really seem like they want to be friends. So that was really tough. Um, thankfully, I, I mean, I did, I say I, I came out with a couple of friends, but we weren't close back then, but now we are thankfully. Um, but yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, and during JBU, um, like I said, I was dating that boyfriend. I'm going to call him Henry. Fictional name. Henry. Um, he, um, <laughs> he, he was not a Christian. Um, he actually told me he was. And then later I found out he wasn't. Um, he actually, he was, he was a narcissist. And he actually admitted to that. Uh, so he just was very self-absorbed and kind of walked all over me and messed with my emotions and uh, 
I don't know if he was like physically unfaithful to me, but he definitely like talked to a lot of girls behind my back and hid a lot of things for me. Um, also, uh, I, I, I had sex with him that I'll just admit to that. Um, I'm, had to wrestle with that after breaking up with him because I was really upset with myself for doing that. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely gave up my morals for this person and changed everything about myself because I wanted to please him and wanted I didn't want him to abandon me because I didn't have anybody. And yeah, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was not good. And he he we were in a long-term relationship because he was going to a school about two hours away, but he was from Springdale. Okay. So his family was here. So when he'd come visit, that's when I normally saw him. So I had to maintain a long distance relationship all while going to a school where I didn't have any friends. And if I did hang out with people, it was his friends, but they were all non-believers as well. So I was a Christian at a Christian college, but I was not surrounded by a Christian community, if that makes sense. So I was really wrestling really wrestling um because like I knew my faith I knew what I believed but I didn't feel like I could share with anybody like it was just hard because if I did try I got a lot of backlash from it um so that was really tough um and then at JBU I I don't know it's such like a it was such a dark time like when I think of like JBU like just college the experience it's just like blackness just comes into my vision. Like that's just how it felt. Um, I remember I, I cried like every day. <laughs> like I'm not exaggerating. I would, I would like, so we had like community like bathrooms at our dorm. It was all girls dorm. I would purposely go like take showers like after midnight around like two, 2 a.m. or so just so I could like cry in the shower because I knew nobody would hear me. Like mm. it was that bad. Or I would like go out to my car in the parking lot and just cry. Like, cause I had roommates. So it's not like I could just do that, you know, like cry in front of people. Like I didn't tell anybody what was going on like at all. Like I knew I was in an unhealthy relationship, but I kept thinking, Oh, I can fix him. I can fix him. And obviously I couldn't. Um, so, and then I also felt this shame. Cause like, I knew like, like I was having sex, but like I knew that I was going against the GBU covenant because that's a thing that you have to sign. Mm. Um, you have to sign something? Every year you had to sign. You couldn't oh. drink, even if you're 21, you couldn't have sex. Obviously you couldn't look, like, couldn't look at porn, you couldn't dance. That's like, I'm not kidding, you could not dance. You could only <laughs> uh, swing dance. I think that's what it was. Wow. But you couldn't dance. Um, there was, I don't even remember. I just, I just looked at it and just signed it like whatever. That's kind of my personality towards it. But I was afraid to tell people what I was going through. Cause one, I knew I was not in a good relationship and I didn't want somebody to tell me that. Mm-hmm. I mean, my parents did at times, but um, they, they, they did not like my boyfriend. Um, but I was afraid to tell people that like, I was like doing that because mm-hmm. I was afraid that I was, either going to get kicked out of school or something or um, that people would think of me differently and like not want to obviously talk to me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I kept it from people and 
I didn't mean, I didn't even tell my parents or anything like that. Like I just, I don't know. I was like, it's like a secret life that I was like having. And then I obviously didn't tell people that like mentally I was not okay. Um, anxiety became my best friend during that time. Um, it just, uh, I don't know. I just felt like there was this like weight on my chest all the time. And I don't know, like I would be in class and I would literally just start like being on the verge of tears for no reason. Like just, mm-hmm. I don't know. And like as a college student, like, yeah, school's hard. You're not getting a lot of sleep. I average probably about three or four hours of sleep a night and sometimes none. Like I went, I didn't sleep for three days. Like that's, it's college is hard. Um, but a lot of my anxiety was coming from one. I didn't feel like I really had friends and I didn't feel like I could be myself around anybody. Um, two, I felt like, um, I knew there were bad things happening in my relationship and I knew, I don't know. I just felt like I couldn't trust him and I felt like I was being betrayed and I was afraid of being abandoned and it's just like I knew I knew something bad was happening but it was just like that anxiety like oh he's gonna hurt me he's gonna do this because I was already having those hurts from my past my high school relationship so it was just so much hurt and like I don't know I was just scared and like I don't know it was hard. Um, like most days I like ate in the cafeteria by myself and I felt like a total loner. I was a loner, but I don't know. It was hard. Like there, I can remember days where I would, I would like realize I haven't spoken out loud in like multiple days. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I just, nobody would talk to me. And even if I had roommates, like I say roommate, like you know, every year I had one roommate, but and they're all different, but sometimes like a roommate wouldn't talk to me. Like it just, I was like, wow, I have not said anything in days. Like, so it was just a very lonely and dark time and just overwhelming, just different aspects of it. Um, it was, it was rough. So <laughs> I don't know. I am grateful for the, you know, I got a job from that time, you know, out of all the crap that happened, I got a great job out of it. I eventually ended up getting really great friends that went to JBU, but like, we weren't really like best friends during JBU. We just like had a few classes together, but now Mm -hmm. they're like my best friends. So later I had like my mini like JBU experience, you know, um, later, um, outside of college. That's how I would describe like my fun JBU experience, but I made up for the crappy time that I had. Um, but yeah. What do you think the people around you at the time could have done to help you where you were? Um, I think some of it, I think some of it was kind of my fault. Um, because one, I wasn't being vulnerable with people and telling them that I wasn't okay. Um, and then I was, yeah, again, just hiding parts of myself cause I was afraid of people just not wanting me anymore. Um, I think that, I mean, my parents, like, obviously they did not like my boyfriend at the time. Um, 
but they didn't like sit down and tell me what my worth was. And I kind of wish that that could have happened. Like, I don't know. Like I knew, like, I wish they would have somebody, anybody like friends, family would have been like, Hey, if you break up with him, it's going to be okay. You're not going to be alone. Like we have, like you have us, you know, like that would have been helpful. And then, um, I don't know. I hate saying that because I don't want somebody to feel like they didn't do enough. Um, um, oh, I had something on the tip of my tongue. And I can't remember. Shoot. <laughs> um, oh, goodness. I don't know. I guess uh, having so, people reach out. I don't know. Just like random people be like, hey, like do you want to go get coffee or Hey, do you want to, um, I, I, something actually I just thought of, um, my friend Ashton, shout out Ashton. You're amazing. Um, she, uh, her and I had a good conversation a few days ago. Um, we talked about how we feel like at JBU, not a lot of people were very vulnerable about what was going on because when I was at JBU, I thought I was the only one that felt bad that was going through crap. Because I think for a Christian university, it was like, everybody's fine. It's like a big church camp, essentially. Like, that's how it felt all mm-hmm. the time. So everybody's all peppy and rah, 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 like, you know, like that. And I was just like, I'm miserable. I hate my life. I want to die. Like, that's how I felt all the time. So I'm like, I don't fit in. I don't blend in. Nobody feels the same way that I do. Um, and we were talking about that. And even like after I graduated and like made friends with JBU people and like I'm you know sharing my story with them and they're like, Haley, we felt the same way. I'm like, no, you didn't. You guys had it so good in school. Like everybody liked you. You had all these friends. Like you looked like you're, you had it all together. And they're like, no, we were miserable. Like most of my friends are like on antidepressants and I didn't even know that. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I didn't know, like, why didn't we talk about this? Why didn't we share this with each other? And so I just wish people would have been more vulnerable, like not afraid to just talk or for it to not be such a um, shameful thing to do, like, or like people just being judgy. Like, I don't, I wish people, it didn't seem like people were being judgy about things. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Maybe leaving aside you, you, it being about you because it's easy to beat ourselves up and think about what we could have done better when we think we uh-huh. um, went through something rough. If you were to know that someone else yeah. was in the position you were in, uh-huh. what do you think you as a part of the community or just an individual around them could do to help that person? If you were looking outside... If you were from the outside looking in at Haley when she was there. Like, what would I have done? Yes. I would have been like, because I think I wore it on my face like I wasn't okay. And I actually have a story about this, but I'll, I'll share this first. Um, I, I would have just asked like, hey, like, you know, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? And if I would have been like, yes, I'm fine. Because that's my go-to is I'm fine to everything because I'm a nine on the Enneagram and I'm always fine, Um, but I'm not. Um, I would have just been like, Hey, do you want to, you know, go to poor John's? Cause that was the place to go. I want to go to poor John's and hang out and talk. I would have been all up on that. Cause I would have been like, I can talk to somebody like this person actually wants to hang out with me. Sure. Like I'd say yes to anything at that point. 
And if that person just would have been like, hey, so like, how are you feeling? Like, what's going on? Like, I probably would have told them if they were being vulnerable with me, I would have been vulnerable with them. So I just, yeah, I, I just think vulnerability is so important. Isn't it amazing how you answer the question changes when it's like, you're not thinking about what you could have done better yeah. in it? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that's a default D- to automatically go to, well, I was in this hard thing and this is what, I mean, I could have done this. Yeah. Why do you think that <laughs> that's uh, the default? Because it, it often it has been for me. I yeah. immediately want to think, well, it's not other, it's not on other people. I did what I did wrong. I could have done better. Mm-hmm. But whether or not I could have, I didn't. And other people could have also. Other people have the opportunity to, yeah. to reach out and step into people's lives. So why do you think you default to that position? I think because I don't, I don't want to blame people for things they didn't know about, I guess. Does that make sense? Because I knew about what was going on in my own life, but mm-hmm. other people didn't. So I don't want to be like, oh, but this is your fault that this happened to me. Because it wasn't. I mean, people did do things to me that caused some hurt, you know. And I guess, like, partly uh, it's their fault. But, like, for somebody to, like, not know what I was going through and, like, they could have done something to help. Like, I wouldn't say it was their fault, like, because they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't mean to cast blame on people yeah. or necessarily say it's something someone's fault yeah i'm just really want to encourage awareness among people because yeah. chances are if someone who was healthy and strong and had an understanding of life a little bit better were to walk on that campus and see you while you're going through that they would know oh definitely yes things oh went gosh. well <laughs> and so I'm sure, again, you weren't the only person, so maybe no. there were tons of people who were just in the same boat and yeah. they wouldn't know what to do anyway. But there are plenty of healthy people too. And yeah. I know for my part, often choosing not to reach out is done because I'm afraid to reach out. Mm-hmm. Even when I get that urge sometimes when I feel like I, I should talk to that person or that person looks like they're alone. Mm-hmm. You really never know how alone somebody might be. And you never know who's listening. Like, I don't know who who listens to this. I yeah. don't know who in five years might listen to this episode. Yeah. Um, so I want to encourage people to just be aware of that. Like, everybody is kind of in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Especially, sure. there's a good chance, especially if you're in college, there's a lot of people who have been in the same place you're in. <laughs> and why do you think i mean obviously it's the only college you went to do you, it seems like it's a trend that people have really dark experiences with jbu yeah do like, you have anything to say about that i don't know well so like my sister she is a college student but she doesn't go to jbu um and her experience at college has been wonderful i have a lot of friends who go to the u of a who love it well she doesn't go to the U of A. she goes to arkansas tech but she loves it and most people that I know, like people that I went to high school with, they loved college. And they mostly all went to the U of A. But, and I was the only one in my class and that went to JBU. And I think, and like I kind of said earlier, I think the reason why it, I had a harder experience, I think it's because 
one, like you're being thrown into an environment that is like this Christian environment and like everybody has different opinions and like the way that you were raised in a church, like everybody went to different churches and different types of churches growing up. And like we're having to take these classes where we're like, what? We weren't taught that. Like, this is different. Like, wow, the church betrayed me. Like, that's something I really wrestled with. I could go down the no, line. Of I, I would all not that survive crap. that school. Um, <laughs> and then also, like I said, there's this almost like a pressure. It feels like there's this pressure to like have it all together and that everybody's okay and that, I don't know. Like it's a, cause like when I was in church growing up, it was, nobody was ever vulnerable at all. Mm-hmm. And if somebody did share like a struggle or something, like they were kind of judged for it. And so I think I was just, a, I had this expectation like, oh, I'm not doing okay, but I'm in a Christian environment. So I probably shouldn't talk about this because I don't want people to think of me bad. So I think that's also, yeah, just nobody being vulnerable and nobody being like, I mean, nobody, people are vulnerable and people are accepting, but it didn't feel like that. There mm-hmm. wasn't this like welcoming, like welcoming environment, I guess. And it is my opinion that if the environment doesn't feel that way, mm-hmm. for the most part, it probably isn't. Yeah. Like you, the, <laughs> you, you pick up on things and if the majority of people are a certain way, they give off that energy to yeah. the group that they're a part of. That's why I'm so attracted to so many of, like, the groups that I'm a part of, I'm in because they, like, everything about them drew me in. Mm-hmm. I did. I wasn't in a position ever where, like, with school where you have to be here, this is the group you're in, I'll just deal with what it is. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was seeking out things that I needed and wanted and really craved. And I found them in, in these groups of people. And I think if you have a student body of, what, two, 3,000 people? I think it was about like 2,000. Yeah. And the majority of them are doing pretty well. And they're filled with joy and mm-hmm. the spirit of God. Yep. I feel like <laughs> it's my opinion that it would be, it would look different. Because, yeah. like, I seem to be picking up on... This is not an unusual. It's not yeah. unusual for kids to have really negative experiences at JBU. And I'm not saying that it's the only thing that happens. I know people who went to JBU yeah, who sure. really liked it. Um, although I actually haven't talked to them about what the experience was actually like. They're great now, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I just remembered something. Um, like you said, like, you know, what if somebody like reached out to you? Um, I had good and bad experiences with that. I had like two that I can think of. So like I had a college professor who like helped, helped me in the dark room. Like he worked in the dark room with me. And I remember he would just like ask me, you know, like most days I saw him, he's like, Hey, are you doing okay? Like he would ask me and I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. Or I tell him about like a hard class or something, you know, but he always checked up, checked up on me. And I really appreciated that about him. Um, but I also had this one thing happen to me and it really upset me, like really upset me. Um, so there was this guy that was in one of my English classes that I had to take. Um, and I was kind of like in college, like I didn't wear makeup. I just, you know, rolled out of bed cause I wasn't getting any sleep. You know, I just 
I was always wearing like my band shirts and, you know, just kind of kind of a little edgier than a lot of JBU kids during that time. And he like would this guy would come up to me after class and just be super friendly with me. And he was like married and whatnot. So it wasn't like interest, like flirting. It wasn't that it was just he was very friendly. I was like, oh, this guy's yeah, he's really nice. Okay. Um, but like every day after class, he would like, when I was walking to the cafeteria, he would like walk with me and it was just, it was, it was, it was a nice encounter, but I had to go to a, um, what was it? We had chapel services that we had to go to. So we had to go on, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays and then Sundays. So like you didn't have to go. You just had to reach a certain like amount of credit that you had to do. So I think it was like 35 chapel credits or something like that. So the Sunday ones were like the really easy ones because it wasn't, it was led by the student. So it was more fun. So I went to that one one night and I was sitting by myself in the back and the guy came up and sat next to me. I was like, okay, he could have chose anywhere and he sat next to me. This is kind of interesting. And he was, I don't know, sitting very close to me. I was like, this is kind of weird. Well, then it got to a time where he started praying and he's like, Hey, can I pray for you? I'm like, uh, sure. He's like, yeah, I just, there's just the sense. I just really need to pray for you right now. I'm like, okay. So he starts praying over me and I don't remember like word for word what he said, but everything he said was implying that I was not a believer in Christ. Like he was in, he was thought that I was an atheist and I was like, I'm not an atheist. I'm a Christian. Like in my head, I'm like, what is he saying? So he thought that I was this atheist person at a Christian university and that I was, you know, oh, that hated God or something. I don't know. And I'm like, it just hurt me. And I felt so offended that somebody just thought by looking at me that I was not a believer. That really hurt me. (laughs) So. Yeah. I, uh, I've not had anyone do that. I know of people who are that way though. Yeah. Who think of, of being a Christian or being of some particular faith as X, Y, Z. And then you see people who maybe they see somebody who claims that faith, but who doesn't get X, Y, and Z the same way. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, they're lost yep (laughs) i need to go save them yeah um it's kind of relieving to hear of weirdly like relieving to hear (laughs) of you having this experience and be like no it was actually just really weird and made me upset yeah (laughs) like don't be that person please if you think somebody is like going astray or whatever you want to call it Ask them questions and see how they are and what they're doing and actually listen to them. Yeah. Like he didn't know anything about me or anything. He was just like, I was, he was, I was his classmate and he sometimes would walk me to the cafeteria, but it was just like casual conversation. It wasn't like, you know, what is your, you know, what was your life like growing up? Like, what are your struggles like or anything? Or how Mm -hmm. do you feel about God? Like it wasn't anything like that. I mean, I do understand like, kind of not where he's getting at but there were people that went there that weren't christians mm-hmm. that that was just a thing yeah there were people like jb was very welcoming to like any religion mm-hmm. honestly 
whether you believed in a God or not, they welcomed you. So there were those, those people, but I wasn't one of those, but he thought I was, (laughs) and it was just sad. I don't know to me. So especially when I was like wrestling with the fact that I, I hung out with non-believers. I'm like, am I, are they rubbing off on me? Like what's going on? So it was rough. (laughs) So let's back up a little bit. Okay. (laughs) Since we went through all that, what was, um, how did you feel about the religion you were raised in initially? Hmm. Because obviously we change, I think, how we see it as we get older and we look back on things we experienced. But what was it? How were you raised in the the religious context? Okay. So like I said, um, my grandparents, super religious. Um, We went to the First Baptist Church of Prairie Grove growing up. Um, So they went. And then my mom, she grew up in that church as well. So she went there and she took my sister and I. My dad... um, he didn't go to church with us because most Sunday Sundays he was working. So he never went with us and he sometimes like go on Easter. That's about it. Um, so in my actual households, um, like there wasn't any like family Bible study or anything like that. You hear, it was just God and Jesus were briefly talked about kind of thing. Like we all, knew that God was real and whatnot, but like we, there wasn't like a conversation. We'd have those conversations at grandma and grandpa's house. So the church I grew up in, um, it, I can't like look back and like remember like certain like things about, um, the teachings or anything like that. Cause when I was younger, I was like, I don't really want to listen to this pastor. Cause I don't understand what he's saying, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a little kid, but, um, I mean, I went to church, like, a lot growing up. Um, so things, like, when I can look back, like, my memories of things really happen, like, when you hit, like, 7th grade, 8th grade, when you get into youth group. Um, so 7th grade, um, we had a youth pastor that was, like, it was all, like, fun. Like, that's what youth group was. It was just fun and games. It wasn't mm-hmm. really, like, teaching I hated that. I was not that type of kid. I'm like, I don't want to play games. This is embarrassing. Yeah, I just want to like sit and listen. Get the kids to be on board (sighs) and then like, okay, now I've got your attention. Now we're going to tell you what not to do. I hated that. So eighth grade, I actually didn't have a youth pastor at all. Um, That youth pastor left and they were really struggling to find somebody to replace him. And that was just during a time in my life. I I was 13, like that's when like like your hormones are all freaky and like you're you're, like my body's weird and you know you like boys (laughs) but you don't know what to do with boy like you like it's just and like you know you want to impress boys or like you know i straighten in my hair and like wear makeup for the first time and it's just a weird time eighth grade terrible time we'll never repeat ever again don't want to um yeah i'm glad none of us have to god so during that time we had like fill-ins for youth youth group Mm -hmm. and they're all these different guys and they all thought taught and thought differently. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Some were really vulnerable. Some people weren't. And it was just like, this is weird. Like, I don't know. And then finally ninth grade. So all throughout high school, I had a new youth pastor 
and he was wonderful like he didn't do all those fun and games like sometimes he did but it wasn't the main focus like he really wanted to focus on like like making disciples like that was his goal and eighth grade is kind of like I I was baptized when I was nine I think it was more of a pressure thing because I was in a Baptist church and for some reason that's a very like pushy pushy thing they Mm -hmm. want you to do that at a very young age yeah so I didn't understand what I was getting myself into or anything. But eighth grade, going eighth grade going to ninth grade is when I like feel like I've really dedicated my life to Christ. Like that's when it really felt real. Um, and so it was really nice like to transition into having a, a really good youth pastor that like really cared about like equipping us and like, you know, teaching us. Like he, he was really good. Um, so yeah, we, we were really into like missions and whatnot. And I don't know, I can't really like remember specific teachings, but like, I don't think we taught, taught or were taught much about like the Holy Spirit. Like I can look back and I'm like, I don't really ever remember being, having that explained to me. Um, or I don't know. Like, my mom grew up being taught more about the rapture than anything. I don't think we were taught that in church. Hmm. But it was more about, like, I don't know. Like, leading people to Christ is more what it was. I was taught. So, like, I had a lot of, like, non-Christian friends or, like, Christians that, like, borderline kind of Christians, if that makes sense. Like, friends in high school. So I'd be like, oh, I need to take them to church. Oh, I need to like, they need to hear this. Oh, you know, like I need to talk to them about God. Like that was me in high school. <laughs> and so. I feel like we need to, <laughs> we, we learn how to train young people. Yes. Like that seems like what we all do. Yeah. With but, the, I, w- I was the bratty, stupid teenage boy who thought being a Christian was about like, getting you a quota of friends that you brought to church and getting people to accept Christ. Yes. Because that's what it's all about in the Bible. And yeah, that seems so normal. Yeah. Why is that? But like, I think one of the big things I remember learning about, so every year around February in youth group, we always talked about like the songs, Solomon. Song of songs, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it was always about don't have sex, get a purity <laughs> ring, you know? Yeah. It was always that. And so I was like, oh man, I even got like, it wasn't like a purity ring like specifically, but it was, it said like faith, hope, and love on it. It was right. like cas- a casual purity ring that I yeah. wore. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to wear this. And I wore it and loved it and embraced it. And casual purity ring. <laughs> it didn't look like one, but it was one in my mind. Um, yeah, so I, I remember being taught that, but it was more like, don't do it. This is bad. Sex is bad. Like mm-hmm. Very normal church yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, so I'll lead to the um, the downfall of me going to that church. Um, <laughs> All right, yikes. Let's, let's do it. So my, so there was this um, man in our church and this is how I'm get it, it all will tie into each other. Um, there's this man who he wasn't a pastor; he was an elder. Mm-hmm. Um, and he decided I don't know. 
he just thought he was kind of better than everybody else, I guess. And he thought that he kind of had control over everybody. And he ran off um, one of our, he ran off our pastor that we had. He was my best friend's dad. You ran him yep, off? Yep, he ran him off. What does that he, mean? He was accusing him of stealing money from the church. And he would spread these like rumors around to different people in the congregation. And it like made a lot of people mad. And so he just was trying to get rid of him because um, our pastor, one, didn't really like this guy um, because he knew that he was kind of a terrible person. Um, and also, so this guy... Um, this I'll just give him a name. His name's Ed. So Ed, he um, he was like a missionary guy. He like would do stuff in India. Well, apparently, the people in India would tell the pastor like, "Hey, don't send this guy over. Like, we don't like how he does things. Like, it's not what what we see is like being a missionary." And so he like I think he like tried to get him to like stop going and it really made him Ed mad. And so he just decided, oh, I'm going to try to get this pastor fired kind of thing. So he left and I didn't learn all this stuff until when I was in college because my best, one of my best friends, that was the pastor was their dad. So I learned about all this stuff later and was like, I didn't know this was going on. I thought mm. your dad just wanted to leave. So it was really stupid. But, um, I actually had an encounter with this this Ed guy um, and how he did missions. And you're going to probably be really upset by this. So I went on my first mission trip. I went to Guatemala my senior year of high school. Mm. And I went with my mom and a couple people from our church. And we spent most of the time in like an orphanage. And it was a beautiful experience. It was wonderful. Um, but they also would send people out into the villages in Guatemala. Like like rough life like just just i don't know it's like makeshift homes like that kind of stuff people walking around barefoot you know very eye-opening um but uh, my mom and i got paired with ed to walk around and talk to people and we had a translator and everything and ed he was very pushy like towards my mom and i about speaking and like we weren't comfortable like we've never done this before like we're in a foreign country and we're having to speak through a translator to these people and we don't know like what to do so one he was a little pushy secondly he was telling these people like if you don't accept our god like you're going to die and you're in a burn in hell and you better accept this and if you don't accept this like i'm not leaving your house like you're going to accept him like very pushy and like threatening them like I'm not leaving your house. Like, you got to accept this. Like, it was weird. Like, something along, like, that's kind of what he was saying. It was, and I, I remember my mom pulled him aside afterwards. Like, hey, I don't like what you're doing. Like, that wasn't okay. Like, that's not the way that you should be presenting the gospel. Like, he's just like, this is what I always do. Like, it was weird. Mm. So this guy, uh, he caused more drama in the church. Um, so he ran off this wonderful, cute little—I I call him a uh, oh, the Mister Mister Rogers. Yeah, mm -hmm. he yeah. was like Mister Rogers. He's a sweet old man. He ran him off. That was the pastor after my friend's dad. And then they made my youth pastor, the guy that I loved, adored. You know, they made him the pastor. Like right when I was 
graduating high school. I was like, great, this is wonderful. I love his teachings. I'm so excited. Well, Ed kind of got into his brain, into my youth pastor's brain, and turned him into a completely different person. So <laughs> he, yeah, he became the pastor. And I specifically like remember going into one of his, you know, going into church, you know, when I was still like in college, like the first couple weeks of college, I went in. I was so excited to see him. And he like acted like he didn't know who I was and that I didn't exist. Like he's like, just kind of avoided me. My own youth pastor that I loved and adored for like four years. And I was just like, what did I do? He unfriended me off Facebook, like just weird stuff. And I was heartbroken. Like nobody from my church really reached out to me while I was in college. Like they'd be like, oh, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. Are you doing okay? How's school? Like nobody reached out to me. I was like so much for a church community. Like these people that I've been around since I was a baby are not reaching out to me. Like I was going through obviously some hard stuff and that was tough. And during that time as well. So my grandparents were still there. They're still going to church, but they had some real issues with what were going on, like behind closed doors in the church. And it was like the newer people in the church were like putting Ed on a pedestal and like, he was like Jesus basically is kind of how they treated him. And all the old people that have been there for decades, they did not like him at all. And they knew what he was doing and the drama he was causing. And he was, it was like, he was kind of cancerous. Like he just, he would just take on people and cause drama. It was bad. There was the last, the last time I ever stepped foot in the church, that church, not the church, that church. He, um, they were doing this vote because it's a Baptist church. I don't know all the specifics, but they do like voting and they were going to vote to whether Ed continues his eldership or not. This is, this is so stupid. So they, so we're all in the, we're all in the, you know, in the sanctuary or whatever, all in the sanctuary talking and it's like official and everything. And Ed actually isn't there. Ed's like somewhere else. <laughs> and so like, so we had to like write on a ballot or whatever and you had to turn in the ballot. And so the ballot comes, like the total comes and they announce that Ed is no longer going to be an elder. And I swear like the newer people and like his little buddy buddies were like, are you serious? Like what the crap? What's wrong with you guys? Like, Ed is a wonderful person. He's never done anything against us. Like, why would you vote against, like, why would you steal this from him? Like, it was weird. And, like, so that happened. And then somebody said, um, somebody's daughter walked in late or something like that. And they're like, oh, she didn't get to vote. We need to let her vote to let it be fair or something weird like that. And so they did a revote. They do the revote, blah, blah, blah. They announce again, Ed's not going to be an elder anymore. Oh, we still have our ballots in our hand. We didn't know we we're supposed to put him in the basket. And like my grandpa, my poor grandpa, he cussed and he's like, eh, this, and like went out <laughs> and like stormed back to the car. He was mad. He was because he did not like this guy. My grandpa, yeah, he, he, he'd get ang- a little angry. And that was, that was a scenario where he was really angry. So, um, 
Wow. So that was the last time That's he ever great. stepped foot in that church. So then they did another recount again. He didn't get the eldership. You know, didn't become an elder again. And the youth pastor who became the pastor, I mean, he had this speech like, I don't believe this. I don't believe you guys care about this man. He's he's wonderful. You know, glory to, glory to Ed. He's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Then Ed's wife gets on the phone and talks to Ed. And she's like, Ed has accepted this decision. It's He's going to be okay. Like, you know, blah. <sighs> yeah, it was so stupid. And then he, like, because of all of that crap that happened, like, no joke, about two-thirds of the whole church left because of this man and what he did to the church. And this, what he ingrained inside of the, the new pastor, my youth pastor, because that he just became a hateful man. Like people, like old people that have been in the church for like 60 years, 50 years, 60 years that put their time, their money, their energy into this church. He was running them off. And he was like, if you don't like what I have to do or what I have to say, like you don't belong here. Like that's what my old youth pastor was telling these people. So I was viewing like this man that I looked up to, he he's running off all these amazing people that are my grandparents' friends and my grandparents. Like he ran them off. And I'm like, what even is the church? Like that. And so I went into JBU having that in my mind. Like mm. I don't like church. I don't want to be. A church. Mm. So that's why when I was at JBU, I didn't go to church. <laughs> and it took me years to like walk inside of a church. And yeah, it was rough. Because everything that I ever just thought about the church and the community that I had and the relationships I had, gone. And I was upset. Understandably. I was so upset. <laughs> none of it, none of it's surprising to me. I know. Um, so sad. I almost feel like this is becoming a, a segment of the podcast. I like, know. I feel like it's this a This is where Joel thing. talks about how horrible <laughs> the church is. Ugh. Like, I'm not against the church. I'm against... Yeah, that's people what I meant. People being that way. Yes. And that's why people are against the church. Yeah. Because you see people calling themselves by that name, mm -hmm. by the name of the God of love is what mm -hmm. they claim. And, and that's the kinds of things that they do. And outside the church, everybody sees that and they say, why would we want anything to do with this? Yes. You guys are <laughs> weird. You're crazy. Yes. So it's like... I have, uh, for some years now, people would ask, if someone would ask me, you know, where is your heart? What do you feel like is something, kind of a care that God has given you? And you tend, I think, to feel the pressure of like, well, I, you know, I feel like the missionaries are the people who really make the biggest impact and they're doing oh. all the cool stuff, you know, and I don't, I don't have that desire though. Is there something wrong with me? Like, I don't mm -hmm. want to go to India. <laughs> um, but I realized that one of the things that I care very much about is all the people who have been raised thinking that they know who this God is and really having no idea. Yeah. Because it's not been modeled properly at mm -hmm. all or taught properly. Yeah. And that's something that more and more has grown on me. That's something I, I don't know what my place in that is other than to have conversations like this and be honest mm -hmm. with people. Yeah. 
um, in my day-to-day life and be very vocal about it, I think. Mm-hmm. Like whatever machine you're looking at, if there's a part in it or, or body or anything organic or anything, if there's a part in it that's diseased, nothing will change about it if somebody doesn't say, this is disease, we need to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. We need to do surgery on this. We need to administer medicine to this. That won't happen. And I think the church in large part, what is called the church, has been just diseased in so many different ways for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. But because of a number of different things, the first thing that's required to fix that, which is just saying, hey, I'm wrong or I'm broken or I'm messed up in this way and I need mm-hmm. help, has never happened mm-hmm. in, in lots of different areas, which is why you see this kind of thing happening all the time, which is why like scandals in the church are oh, so gosh. normal yep. and they're looked at as scandals. Mm-hmm. They're not just, hey, well, here's this group of people and they did something and they kind of like apologize and changed and now they're growing yes it's oh the church which has tried to make out like they're perfect Mm -hmm. did this horrible thing and now they're hanging their heads in shame and walking away with their tail between their legs because they know how awful they actually are yeah that's what the church has looked like (laughs) for a very long time yes (laughs) and it's normal yeah that's normal the church is seen as that way Mm -hmm. i don't like that i don't either (laughs) it's that just it really ticks me off because there's no, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and it makes me sad that a lot of people, like our age, are experiencing, like they're having that realization, and a lot of people are choosing just completely turn away from God because they're, it's not like they're, I don't know, they're just seeing like the wrong idea of like who God actually is. Like they're being given this wrong idea because of the actions of other people. And like, I see that on Facebook a lot with people I went to high school with. They're like, so glad I can call out Christians on their hypocritical behavior and all this stuff because I was grown up in the church and they all like don't, they hate God now. And I'm like, but only if you knew like who God actually is, like, I hate that they were painted the wrong idea of that Yeah. and that they're completely just, I don't know. It just makes me sad. (laughs) I mean, it's similar to what we talked about earlier with an environment being a certain, being essentially the way that the majority is, right? Mm-hmm. If I am, uh, if I don't believe in God, and I look at the people who do believe in God, and the majority of them seem crappy and hypocritical, my, the logical thing for me to do is say, no, nah, I don't really, I'm not really into this God. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go over to the, here to this group of people because <laughs> they're super nice to everybody and very accepting, and it feels like, they love everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go over here. That just makes sense. Yeah. I I think whatever group you're talking about, if it just l- tends to lean in a certain direction, that's a pretty good indicator of where the majority actually stands. Mm-hmm. I was listening over to our com- my conversation with David the other day. I'm so excited for that. I get pretty heated in that one. I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. I mean, not heated, but just we both talk about that oh, subject. Man, uh, shout out to David. You're yeah, amazing. hey, David. 
I don't know if you'll listen. He skimmed through some of the episodes. But I'm sure he'll listen it's to mine. Lot. He knows me. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How many do you have a lot of people you think who will listen to this conversation? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Oh, great. I'm like kind of nervous, but most everybody already knows all this stuff about me anyway, so it's not a big deal. Not oh. like I'm sharing something that, well, there'll probably be like some people that don't know these things, but. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. I don't care if they know. It's fine. Good, good. <laughs> That's where I want people to be. Yeah. Um, so on kind of in this subject line, we've talked about a number of things that could probably qualify. Um, but what's something specifically that I guess that people do that is hurtful to you? Pe- I'm trying to like rearrange this question because I always ask yeah. people like, what's something that's been hurtful? And oh. we tend to go over something that was painful. But what's something? constructively speaking what's something that people do that is hurtful like often to me like that they do that they don't realize that oh um because i want us to grow i want us to grow on this show hmm. oh okay so like i said i'm a peacemaker on the enneagram Mm-hmm. I have a very hard time with saying my opinions and expressing my thoughts. Um, so when I have the courage to actually say my thoughts or opinions, and if I am met with someone talking over me or dismissing my thoughts and opinions, or, and a lot of it, I realize I have people that talk over me a lot, like, that's just something that happens. Or if I'm talking and they're just zoned out and like not listening, but I'm talking and I'll, I'll catch myself. Like I'll start talking and then I'll just do this. Like, okay, you're not listening to me. Okay. Bye. Thanks. (laughs) That happens to me so much. And it just in my head, it just tells me like, Hey, people don't want to hear what you have to say. So just don't talk. And I wrestle with that thought all the time. And so I've, I really had to like have the confidence to speak um, JC's been a big help with that. Um, he kind of nudges me. He's like, Hey, Hey, you should say something. Hey, 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 you know, I'm like, stop it. <laughs> so, um, that, that, I think that's hurtful to me. Cause I feel like I'm, my voice is not being valued to that person. So, because it is a lot for me to say something like I, I have to plan in my head what I'm going to say, which this has been like really hard for this podcast. I'm like, Oh, I gotta plan something. Um, so it's like I come up with something I'm like, oh, this is great. This is great. This is great. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk. And then finally I get to that point and then I start talking and then somebody talks over me and I'm like, oh, mm. well, never yeah. mind. It's not talk now. So that is hurtful. Yeah. That's the first thing that came to mind. Listen to people. Please <laughs> shut up for a little bit if you're one of the people who talks a lot. Yeah. And that's, I, think, I think we need to balance <laughs> out the scales. Like there's some people who just yeah. talk too much. And there's people who don't get to talk very much. I think yeah. we need to we need to be more aware and, of that in yeah. everyday conversation. And that's what, um, like, friends and family, they're like, you're just such a good listener. I'm like, yeah, it's because I don't ever get to talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I don't mind listening. Like, I like listening to people. But sometimes I'm like, man, I think it'd be important for me to share something. Yeah. But then I'm like, eh, we're talking about something else. Like, the, the topic changes. I'm like, oh, they, no. It's off topic now. I, I, I shouldn't talk now. You should just try and be like, hey, there was something we talked about earlier and I have I something have, to say about it. I have it. been saying that lately. Yeah. yeah. I've oh, noticed good. I start doing that. That's funny. 
Self-awareness. Enneagram. Great. Yes. It's been, it's been great. It's been wonderful. So what's then something that brings you a lot of joy? Okay. Um, I think I, I have a lot of different things. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Somebody's car alarm's going off. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so I really like one-on-one -on -one time with people. Uh-huh. Um, and my love languages, my top two are quality time and words of affirmation. I really hope that alarm's not. Like, I think it's okay. that little you see it in oh, mine. No. You can see it. <laughs> okay. I'll just keep talking. I so. wonder though, because we can just cut it out. Oh. Cool. Who's going to? No, I'm not going to cut it. Do you think it's JC's car? No, he left. Oh, he did? I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I saw him pull away. I don't know if he's planning on coming back he'll before. come back. are you riding together yeah, to go yeah, yeah okay yeah okay so joy um i love just hanging out with people just one-on-one -on -one. because i'm i've noticed and i it might be because i grew up in a very small family mm -hmm. but i just value one-on-one -on -one time with people because like group settings kind of overwhelm me because i'm like when do i chime in like i don't know like i don't know but like with one-on-one -on -one time, it's like, it's just an interaction between two people and they have like your undivided attention and like, it's just, I don't know. You just, you're just talking to each other. I, mm -hmm. I love that. I appreciate that. And I, with my friends, I can, like one friend, we talked for like six hours one time. Wow. Like just at my house, just chilled and talked for six hours. I love that. And then you know, some of my friends, like, we'll meet up at, like, Savoy Tea and Rogers, like, the Rogers location, mm -hmm. and we'll just sit there and talk. And then, like, the store will close, and then we'll go sit in the car and continue talking. And I'm just, like, I value, I love that over, like, texting, phone calls. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just want one-on-one -on -one quality time with you. So, it just helps me because, yeah, like, in big social se settings, like, I I. I I just want like, hey, can we just, the two of us just go in this other room away from everybody else and just talk? Because mm -hmm. I just, I realize I don't talk in large groups. Yeah. So. It can definitely feel yeah. very hard to be heard yes. in a large group. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I very much value when I get to like strike up conversation with that one person next to me and then we kind of just are isolated uh -huh. there, even if there's people around. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. That that definitely brings me joy. Just one-on-one -on -one quality time with people. Um, I also love music. Um, that's been a big part of my life for most of my life. Um, it's just kind of a therapeutic thing for me. Um, mm -hmm. Even though my music isn't very therapeutic, it's like you know classic rock music. But it is like you know driving down the road, like yeah. windows down, like driving on the interstate, like blaring music. That's therapeutic for me. And then I love cats. <laughs> That's the very <laughs> thing that brings me joy. Our our family cat, Zoe, she's the best. That's such a funny name for a cat too. Yeah, I don't well know why. my mom named her my mom's the one that named her. Like she named her after Zoe De Chanel. Okay. But like Zoe De Chanel spells it differently than like what we spell our cat's name. Zoe has two O's, like Zoe De Chanel has two O's. Oh really? Yeah. It's like Zoe. Her name's Zoe. That's so weird. I didn't know. Yeah. And then Zoe, we just spell hers like Z-O-E-Y. So, yeah, hmm. just named it after Zoe Deschanel. I guess Zoe Deschanel is a weird enough person to have a, a, I love her. a Zoe with two O's. If I had a TV show about me, I would have her play me. 
I, I don't know about you. I've never watched um, New Girl. Like New Girl. I've never watched that. She's hilarious. Huh. Her character's funny. What's something that, for your sake, you would like people to know about you? Which, again, we go over kind of answers to these questions, sort of. But specifically, if you were to tell the world, this is something you should know about me. For me. For my sake. Oh, okay. Um... I mean, this kind of ties in with the first question, but I, I don't know. Sometimes like, yeah, like I'll be in a social setting and I won't be talking and it's not necessarily like that I'm mad or upset or that I don't care about the people in the room. Sometimes I just literally just sit there and I listen and I, I just feel comfortable doing that and I don't need to always like chime in and have an opinion and say something like I just, I just prefer listening, I guess. And I don't want to, like, come off, like, with, like, you know, RBF, like, resting you know, B-face, you know, like, because <laughs> I'm not, like, interacting. But I just, sometimes I just like to listen and just look around and observe and, yeah, I don't always have to talk. So, because, like, I remember growing up, it was, like, speak up, speak louder, say something. I'm like, no, I don't want to talk. <laughs> so, I don't know, that was, that's kind of a dumb one, but. There yeah. are no dumb ones. Um, no dumb answers. Also, again, I'm I'm coming up with things as I talk. Um, man, I don't know if other people are like like this, but I like I don't like I don't like conflict. Again, Enneagram, I don't like conflict, but um, I just desire like unity, like all all the time. Like if if I see that people are arguing, it makes me sick to my stomach. Like I just. I don't like it and I just I don't know I don't I don't know how to like word what I'm saying but I mean I, I just, think that's pretty clear I don't know and so I'm always like seeking like mending things and like you know and some people are just they just like to just be rude and mean and jerks and they don't really care about people's feelings and I'm like okay but like you shouldn't be saying that or you shouldn't you know say hurtful things like that or you you know i don't know i just don't sometimes i just don't understand why people are like that because i wouldn't be like that but i know that's just sometimes it's people's personalities but no i don't i just that wish that people i just wish that people were nice to people and that's i don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't even remember what your question was <laughs> yeah i don't accept though if man if you're a jerk and you think it's just because that's how you are get over it you need yeah. to grow up so i guess yeah i wish people knew that like don't be a jerk around me like just i don't know like just be a nice person i don't know that's a good that's a good thing to remember <laughs> it like it literally physically makes me like ill to my stomach wow. when i see people that are just being mean like and just talking bad about other people especially if you're a christian and you're doing that in front of me it sickens me you sicken it's me sick especially with like what's happened in the past year it's really brought out that in people mm -hmm. and i'm like your hatefulness is not going to solve anything it's not going to make anything better it's not going to bring peace like it's no isn't that how jesus did things <laughs> <sighs> yeah it just i don't know and like i and that's where i wish that i could be more bold at times with my thoughts because and then again, I'm afraid, oh, I'm going to cause conflict if I say something because somebody's going to, like, 
you know, somebody with like a more uh, intense personality is just going to like belittle me and tell me that I'm wrong. But I know I'm not wrong by saying that like love is the answer and like peace, like, you know, Kind of like with the scenario that happened recently with my post that I made and I got a little bit of backlash from a family member. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an example. That made me sick to my stomach because... Because you're faced with being now part of the potential conflict. Yes. And I don't want to be a part of the conflict. There wasn't any conflict that needed to happen. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I, I said agree. was very peaceful and very loving. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well... Do you have a recommendation for somebody, for for all the listeners? We're gonna we'll wrap up now since I know there's things going on. And oh, okay. We're at like two, close to two and yeah, a half. Unless there's good. something you needed to talk about still. I mean, we kind of like touched on a lot of different things. Yeah. Very briefly. I'm Probably. I'm realizing too as I do this that I'm I need to get over the idea that I'll like neatly go through anybody's story. Yeah, um, yeah. I won't cover everything, of course. Yeah. We won't cover everything. But um, I'm grateful to have the opportunities to cover some. Yes. So, yeah. What's a recommendation you have? I'm trying to end every episode okay. this way now. Yeah, I remember in the last episode, I was like, oh, man, I got to think of one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, this is going to be like a really like just weird one. I don't good, know. Good, good. So it's going to be a band, obviously. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, great. So, Music record. It, this is band, and I talk about these a lot with people. I don't think anybody I know like really cares to listen to them. But um, they're called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. King, I have not listened to them. I've heard you talk so, about them. Okay, I gotta like give you like the lowdown on them. So they're all, they're an Australian band, so you can appreciate okay, that they're yeah, Australian. Yeah. I like Aussies. They're how many guys? There's like they have two drummers. They don't. They just one of their drummers just stopped like they're not in the band anymore but for like most of their albums it's two drummers which is pretty cool you don't ever mm-hmm. see two drummers yeah, in a that's band weird, I think. they have like all the guys play like just different instruments but they have like three guitar players they have a, har- a harmonica player bassist like synthesizer type stuff like so they're, they're a pretty cool group of guys they all look like surfers like they're of super course. cool yeah of course yeah so they have gizzard and the lizard, lizard wizards, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, and they have like a very fun name. I know. I just call them King Giz. Yeah. But they have like 12, over 12, 13 albums. They released like really? five albums in one year. They just produce music like crazy. But what I really like about them, this is the thing I really just appreciate. Every album is a completely different genre. Like just Huh. They like you can listen to them on shuffle. And it sounds like you're listening to multiple different bands. So have they done like a classical style album? No, they okay. do like, they they've done kind of like a jazzy kind of yeah. funk album. They've done like metal, like thrash metal. They've done, most of their music's like psychedelic rock, like jam band kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done like kind of like indie, like kind of fun music. I don't know. They're great. My favorite album, my two favorite albums are... I'm in your mind fuzz and Nonagon infinity. And the reason why I appreciate these albums so much is they're like psychedelic rock, which is more like kind of centered on my style. Cause mm-hmm. I'm more like 60s, 70s kind of rock anyways. And that's yeah. kind of like the time period of that. Every song connects into the next song. So you're like, it's just so one continuous song. Yes. You have okay. to listen to the I like whole that. album. I like that a lot. 
And the Nonagon Infinity album, which the name Nonagon Infinity. So the last track, when it ends, it leads immediately back into the first track. It's a continuous cycle of an album. How do you say the album name? Nonagon. Nonagon. Infinity. Infinity. Yes. Okay. Huh. They're they're an acquired taste. I love them. Would you compare it to like Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon kind of thing? Uh no that's what i thought of when you floyd, said you had I mean, to listen it's to the it same to yes it's the exact same concept it doesn't sound the same okay. pink floyd's is more like just chill nonagon infinity so king gizzard's non-nonagon infinity <laughs> album is like just intense like rock like just banger not banger head some of them are a little chill but and yeah, and none of their albums just like tell a, a continuous story. And then like three albums are like all like within the same like universe. I don't know. I don't know. It's just hmm. they have all these like things behind, you know. They sound very creative. They are insanely creative. Like the singer plays like nine different instruments. He plays a flute in some of the songs. Wow. It's amazing. They have like microtonal guitars like that. They've like made guitars that are like microtonal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just in comparison to music today. Like I respect them so much like just i've never heard of anything like that so that's why i really appreciate them that was a really passionate recommendation i they were my number one artist played last year i was in their 0.5 percentage their top 0.5 percentage of listeners last year so more than the top one percent yes top 0.5 yes wow of listeners and like five of like four three i think three of their songs were in my top five yeah. And then in like my top 100, I think there was like 25-ish songs of theirs. Yeah. I'm a, I got a little obsessed. <laughs> and they keep releasing music like constantly. That's so nice. I would recommend those two albums first. Nonagon, Infinity, and what was the other one? I'm in Your Mind Fuzz. That's my favorite fuzz. one. Okay. That's my favorite one. All right. There's your challenge for Sorry. the week, listeners. <laughs> That's great, though. I man, music recommendations are so much fun. I love it. If the music's, if you end up liking the music anyway. But, yeah. I mean, obviously, like I love this. Uh-huh. We have Wi-Fi now, and I'm really the number one thing I'm happy about is just being able to listen to Title all the time. Yeah, JC about... tells me about that all the time. Like, you need a Title. Like, I've been a Spotify person for so long. Oh right, I was like, yeah, yeah a, I've had Spotify since high have... school. So, like in into high school. I mean, if like ultra high fidelity isn't the priority then yeah it doesn't really matter i just have like i have this playlist on there which really it's just me dropping music in it and i do it by genre Mm -hmm. so like my kind of classic rock genre has almost a thousand songs in it and then like i have an indie kind of alternative one and then i have like a 90s one 80s one Hmm. you know yeah i have a little bit inya in one of them right yeah (laughs) The, the social aspect <laughs> of so long term if you use one particular platform uh-huh. that kind of thing will happen and yeah. that makes it difficult to switch and then also the social aspect of spotify is better just because there are way more users yeah it is you true. know sharing with people is really easy mm-hmm. hey i have this playlist look it up on there follow me you know mm-hmm. so that's something i don't miss out on it so much because i don't do a lot of that yeah that's but true. and i haven't been dedicated to i've not been a big playlist guy ever yeah, mine aren't like playlists like, oh, you, it's like a 20, you know, 20 song list, you know. Mine's just like, oh, I just group everything into genres and just oh, that's a playlist, listen to though. it, whatever. It's just more of like a library of different things. Different libraries, okay. Yeah. 
man. Yeah, music recommendation is so much fun, though. Mm-hmm. Every time, I feel like lately, every time I'm at work and I notice the music, if a song comes on that's good, which most of them are pretty crappy, it's like whatever music they put on has to go through a process to get approved. Oh, I bet. So, what kind of music do they play, artist? There's I'm scared. a large selection of Taylor Swift songs. Dear God, no. And sorry, I, I, sorry, <laughs> listeners, I do not like Taylor Swift. <laughs> I have a traumatizing story. Did you listen about to her. folklore? No, I don't no? listen to her at all. It's a good album. If you like indie music with that kind of feel, I think it's good. Her subject matter is still the same. Like, Taylor, get over yourself. Come on. Oh, God. But the music is good. Okay. I think it's good. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of just hit radio songs. Oh, yeah, thanks. it's really boring. So I'm going to ask my manager when she gets back. I'm like, Natalie, can I make some mix CDs? Mm-hmm. And then you submit them to you yeah. and Lisa. and like Might as well. Yeah. If I had to work in a place that played Taylor Swift music, I would cry every single day. Yeah. But anyway, when I notice good songs on, I always get in this mode. I'm like, man, I just want to go home and sit down, like right here, which this mm-hmm. setup now is perfect for me sitting down and listening to music. Yeah. And just put on music and yeah. just sit and listen. And I never get to do it. I get to do that at work, thankfully, because I work like, you know, graphic design. I have my headphones on mm-hmm. eight hours a day. I just listen to podcasts and I listen to music. Nice. Constantly. Nice. And then I get in my car and I listen to music. <laughs> yeah, it's well, just a constant thing. Yeah, I need some so. silence, but but I mean, I also don't get nearly as much time mm-hmm. like that yeah. to do it. Um, nice. Yeah. So what's something What's something that makes you laugh, Haley? Okay, well, funny? do you want me to tell you the Taylor Swift story? Oh, it's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, sure. Okay, we can yeah. end on this. Um, okay. <laughs> so eighth grade um <laughs> my school had a talent show and this was back then when like you didn't audition for the talent show they just kind of let kids just go up there and do whatever they wanted kind of thing so back then you know taylor swift this is whenever she's doing her country music you know mm-hmm, yeah what when, album would have like, that, that have been like fearless? it was like our song the our song song i don't know what the albums are the our song okay and then like Tim McGraw, like the you think yeah, Tim, first yeah. couple of albums. Yes, sure. like her first. It's like her yeah. country albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Miley Cyrus was still Hannah Montana during that time. Okay. <sighs> God. Oh, okay. Miley. So, I already did not like them, like yeah. at all. Those those singers, I did not like them. Now I'm over here listening to my like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and Guns and Roses. Like that was me. That was me in middle school. Uh-huh. So we get there, or you're sitting down, whole school, you know, middle school there. And I'm not joking you. Every, this was like a two hour thing. Every single person that went up there sang a Taylor Swift song or a Miley Cyrus song. I'd say about like 85% of girls that went up there sang Taylor Swift and about 10% sang Miley Cyrus, and then the other five, I think, that math speaking, 5% did something else. <laughs> no, I wasn't in the talent show. Oh, yeah, I did okay. not do that. But the thing was, is that you would hear girls singing the same songs over and over again. So I'd be like, here's so-and-so singing Taylor Swift's Tim McGraw. Oh, hey, next up, here's so-and-so singing Taylor Swift's Tim McGraw again. 
So you would hear the same song like five times over and over again. And I was like in the fetal position, like with my ears plugged, like, dear God, just let this stop. I hate this. I'm dying. Like, uh, so. So that's your I'm traumatized. I'm traumatized. <laughs> it was, yeah. Well. My own personal health. It was terrible. That is a funny story. <laughs> I still recommend Taylor Swift. Yeah, I don't, I'm not hating on people like Taylor Swift. But. I know she's gotten a lot better, but back then it was terrible for me. Oh. <laughs>